One, that 1%, uh, no, I don't want it to go. I don't want it to go. He said, okay, bank, you are saying that I should get the 100. And you are telling me that the 100 is hard to get. So what do I do? I don't know whether you're getting my point. Because, listen, I'm not a gluten for punishment. Last time you told me <laughs> that um, uh, Paul was beaten how many times? He was shipwrecked. When he wanted to brag on his apostleship, he could not even tell about the kind of house he was living in in Philippi. The kind of house he lived in Ephesus. He was telling us how many times he was beaten. What he had suffered. The dangers from false brethren. The dangers from the Jews. The dangers from robbers. The dangers of sea. The danger of land. That's what you are telling me. It took Paul to get into a hundredfold. Now you just told me about Jesus. Now it took crucifixion to get to a hundredfold. What do I look like? A gruesome for punishment? Abraham had one child. God said, at that time it was only Isaac. God said, sacrifice him. For all the ones I have, if God to say I should sacrifice one, he knows it to be hard. Right now, I, no, I don't know whether you're getting my point. I don't want him to come up with such ideas. But Victor is looking scared, like, <laughs> that is me you are talking about. <laughs> sacrifice me for who now? <laughs> the Lord is good. Now, listen, when I was growing up as a Christian, I don't know about it, it used to bother me that God, if I was the one that you said should sacrifice Isaac, let's not lie. Up. I'm not sure. I'm not kidding, you, please. Maybe you have always been very strong. I used to sit down and, in quote, worry about it. You haven't talked about sacrificing Isaac. You've been that one a human being. What's the name of our, the brother I was talking about? John G. Lake. John G. Lake said, you know, concerning John Lake was said that he sold everything he had, packed his wife and eight children and moved to South Africa, believing God for money every step of the way. This was a man who had. In today's terms, he would have been a multi-millionaire. Yet he got to a point that to get transport fare, he had to pray and believe that money would come. And finally, $2,000 of those days came. To take him and his other the brother, the partner in ministry, and their family to South Africa. If they get up, you know, today the girl just goes to the bank here, yeah, do something like that. I'm not lying to you. I don't believe, you know. I'll just tell I'll just tell my wife, the lad and I will go and return to you. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Now I'll tell my wife, pray for me. My husband, what's the problem? You look scared. Yes, I'm scared. Why? Our son, our only son, the Lord is sacrificing. Yeah, my husband, are you sure it's God that said this? Me too, I'm not sure again. <laughs> Let us pray. The God will not show up. Now me to come and say this. <laughs> I can imagine my wife just saying, like Sarah, two of you are friends, discuss it, I'm coming. <laughs> when God wants to go, Sarah will grab the leg. I will not go until you release my son. That's the more natural thing. That for me is a more natural thing. It's not the right thing. I hope you know that. But what is it? A more natural thing. That's how it used to be those days. But right now, I'll tell you the truth. Am I still scared like I used to be scared? I'll give you my correct answer. No, I'm not. Oh, but Parky, you know you, are, you mean you are ready now to sacrifice anything? No, I'm not ready. I won't lie to you. I'm not. Then why are you not scared? You want to disobey? No. 
It's just that I have learnt. Can I pardon me to use the word? I have found the key. I have found the key. So if the idea comes up tomorrow, let me tell you something. Let me drop this again. I've been telling Christians again and again and again and again. Alright? Sometimes you go to church. A pastor who wants to raise money tells you, go and sell all you have and bring it now. And he says to you, don't let the devil change your mind. The devil wants to change your mind. Do it in a hurry. You want to hear my own opinion? Don't answer him. Don't do such things in a hurry. You will regret it. Do them after thinking. When I say thinking, I'm not saying, "Eh, how will I survive? No, that's not what I mean. You settle down and pray and consider until your heart is persuaded concerning what you want to do. Then you come and do it. And if your heart does not get to that point, doing it anyway won't help you. You say, what are you talking about? Jesus did not go to the cross in a hurry. So who am I to sell all that I have in a hurry? What did Jesus do? He went to the garden and he prayed. Listen to me. He prayed until the going to the cross was what he wanted to do. After that thought prayer, the Bible says angels came and what strengthened him. There was a strength they brought to him from the throne of heaven, including and persuaded of visions of what his sacrifice was going to accomplish. At that time, he suddenly was in a hurry to get there. He said, let us go. So I said to Christians, there's no need to hurry. He said, the devil may change your mind. He said, then it is not God. So don't be afraid. You know, it's when we pastors are afraid that the people may not give the money, they'll start saying things like that. Don't be afraid. Let them go home. Go and pray. As you have proposed in your heart, not as I have pushed you into in a hurry. Go home and go and pray. Go home and go and spiritually meditate until you come back from there with, now listen to this, with grace in your heart, making what looks hard for other people to do a simple thing for you. The reason why many people disobey God, that's where I'm going, is that they think they will obey him by their strength. Anytime you want to obey God by your strength, you'll be discouraged. Anytime you want to use your own strength to obey him, you will be discouraged. So Jesus said, abide in me. You know, I'm going somewhere with all the things I'm saying. Okay, we're abiding, we're bearing fruit. Now to go from one level to another, we need to prune we said the pruning is painful. What am I explaining to us today? The pain is born with the grace of God. And how does grace come? It's the same thing. Listen to me. The way you get that result is the same way you sustain it. It's the way you increase on it. How did you get the first result? Abiding. When it's time to prune, let me tell you what will happen. Listen to this first of all. You don't just get... Now, listen to what I want to say. You will not be the one to get up and just decide that this, is, this thing to be pruned. No. This is what happens. If you abide in me, how do you abide? My, word ab- my words abide in you. God releases his revelation to people stage by stage. The reason why a devout Christian working with God has not pruned certain things right now in his or her life is because the understanding has not yet come to you. I don't know whether you're getting my point. It's because it has not come. When God is building you up, listen to what I'm saying. 
Abraham, at the age of 75, if you dropped Isaac on his lap and you asked him to sacrifice him, he wouldn't sacrifice Isaac. I am convinced, at the age of 100, if you give Isaac to Abraham and you said to him at the age of 101, sacrifice Isaac, Abraham wouldn't sacrifice Isaac. And God knew it. What am I saying? What was the Lord doing? He was building Abraham up, building him up stage by stage, through experiences, through instructions with the word, until Abraham got to the point where he could sacrifice Isaac. God is a good teacher. Are you getting my point? Listen to me. If I was teaching students, I'm supposed to teach a course for three semesters, okay? Will it be right of, of me, after the third week, to give them an exam on what they should have learned in three semesters? Three semesters is one and a half years. Would it be right of me? The Bible says, and it came to pass that the Lord tested Abraham. And he called to him and said, you're going to sacrifice Isaac. You know why God did that particular point in time? He knew Abraham had taken the whole course. He had taken the test. And he knew that Abraham will pass. Or at least he's supposed to. Then he tested him. Many people are not being tested like Abraham because God is not trying to breed failures. So you're just in the first year. You have tenfold. Tenfold is good for the first year. You've been a Christian or you know, serving the Lord for 20 years. You have 80-fold. Because 80 years is good. 80-fold is good. You think you can get 100-fold, 15 years in ministry? It doesn't work like that. It's not just because you need time to be effective. You need time to be trained. There are decisions I can make today I couldn't make years ago. I hope you are following what I'm explaining here. That is why the job we have, that's why we are called disciples. You know what disciples are? What's the modern word for disciple? Student. What is our job? We are just to be abiding in him by imbibing his word all the time. We are not supposed to try to get any result. There's a statement I made long ago. The first time I made it, I'd never had anybody make it. The next time I made that statement, then one day I saw a man criticize the statement. And the book was written a few decades before. Now, get my point. I made a statement. I never heard anybody make the statement. Then once I saw somebody criticize the statement that some people are saying this, some people are saying this, how can they be saying that? And he wrote that like 20, 30 years before I made my own statement. Now, what what did that tell me? That told me that somebody had made that statement before me. And I laughed at the criticism. I said, obviously you don't understand. And what was the statement I made? I said, God never said we should obey him. I said, God does not expect us to obey him. He said, what do you mean? I said, God said, believe me. That obedience is a sign of the genuineness of faith. Why? The word of God is impossible to obey by flesh. He said, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. When it is time to obey God, he has to pour his spirit into you. You cannot obey God in the flesh. He says, so how do I get the spirit? God said, it's simple. If you shall pay attention to what I am saying. That's why I said to us, abiding in Christ is not trying to work for him. It's to pay attention to him. When you pay attention to Christ, what happens is that his spirit enters into you and makes you do the will of God. So if you find yourself disobeying God, 
It is not like you didn't put enough effort into obedience. You did not put into enough effort into two areas. Actually, one. And what are the two areas in one? Paying attention and believing what you are hearing. You can never effectively obey what you don't fully accept. Listen, until there is full acceptance, obedience cannot be complete. You are just trying. You will fall back. We are not talking about whether you will, uh, you will not try. You will try. A paraventure you will succeed. You will never succeed. I'm talking Christianity here. It's not common sense. You cannot succeed in obeying God until two things are one. That is, these two things are one, actually. Are done. One, that you fully believe. And that comes from paying attention to him. You know what he said to the Hebrew, to, to the Jews in Hebrew? He said, if you shall diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. The word hearken, you know what it means? If you read the modern translation, it says to obey. He didn't say to obey. To hearken means to do what? To listen carefully. I've grown a bit in life. I've had, I've had to command people, you know, instruct people, lead people. And have found out, number one reason people don't do what they are told is that they didn't hear you well. That's number one reason. As part of not, when I say hearing you well now, it's not that they didn't hear what you said clearly. They always had a better idea concerning what to do. The foundation of disobedience is disbelief. Did you hear what I said? So when God wanted to command Israel, you know what he said to them? He said, you shall listen, listening to the voice of the Lord thy God. Modern translations to call it, if you shall hearken, uh, sorry, if you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God. God did not say, if you shall obey me. What he said, if you shall listen to me. And that's why in English language, we have begun to confuse the two statements. And it's right. If we say somebody, the problem is that you don't listen to me. What you mean is that you don't obey what I'm saying. But actually you are right. The person did not ob- listen. Listening is what brings obedience. So I made a statement long ago. I said God did not call us to obey him. He called us to believe him. And that obedience is a sign of our faith. Faith without works is what? Is dead. Those who don't have the works, their faith is dead. We are not saying you use the works to kick the faith alive. We are saying if the faith was alive in the first place, the works would be automatic. When I told you, I don't, I, I'm not afraid anymore. That if God said I should sacrifice Isaac, whether I will sacrifice Isaac or not. I'm not afraid. Not because I have strength in myself. No, because I have found out that God never depended on my strength when it is time to sacrifice Isaac. If Jesus could not go to the cross with his own strength, who am I to sacrifice Isaac? Did he not tell us angels strengthened him before he went to the cross? Didn't you read in your Bible? What does that tell you? There is a grace to obey. When it's time to prune, Oh, as I say, God would, you know, I said something the other time, let me just make a statement. That it got to a point that the Holy Spirit said to the direct prince, that listen, you've gained so much weight over the last maybe one year. At the point I thought that you are eating too much. And I said that God is involved in every intricate details of our lives. Can you remember that? And I made another statement, which I should make it again. I said, look, most people listening to me, don't worry about it. God is not concerned about what you eat yet. And everybody here laughed. What do I mean? I say he has more problems to solve in your life. Are you getting my point? 
By the time God is saying that uh, what you eat is not good, he has solved lying. He has solved giving your word and not fulfilling it. He has solved your, your eye following things he's not supposed to follow. He has solved your visiting strange websites. I hope you are getting my point. He has solved a lot of things in your life before he starts concerning himself with whether you ate or you did not eat. So that's why some of those revelations, you hear them, if they pass, it won't stick in your mind. You have worse things to solve yet. And by the time the Lord is giving that kind of word to a man like that, they have reached a point in which he can receive those words. I don't know whether I get my point here. Why am I no longer afraid? Because I know by the time God asked me to sacrifice Isaac, he will have taken time to teach me how to drive away Ishmael and not be afraid. There was a time Abraham prayed and said, Lord, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. When Isaac was going to be born, listen to this. It, look, no time to go into data analysis. But when Isaac was going to be born, God, Abraham thought Ishmael would die. When he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, people said that he was asking God to use Ishmael. Because he didn't believe Isaac would come. Not true. Read your Bible well. He was so sure. He said, but he laughed. What is the name of Isaac? Laughter. When he laughed, it was laughter of joy. He received him and receiving Isaac. You know, he said, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, what was it like? We're like them that dream. Next line. Then our mouths were filled with what? Laughter. Was it? Laughter in the Bible is not a sign of doubt. It's a sign of joy. It's a sign of victory. He that sits in the heavens shall what? Laugh. Abraham laughed. The time they Sarah said, I did not laugh, it was embarrassment. It was not doubt. Because I caught you laughing. He said, no, sir, I wasn't laughing, sir. You know that kind of thing. The people, they received Isaac with joy. And when they were sure Isaac was coming, the hope of Abraham that was set on Ishmael was suddenly removed. And naturally speaking, Israel was going, sorry, that's Israel. Ishmael. Ishmael was going to die. So God, Abraham prayed to God and said, Lord, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And read your Bible. He said, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Some Bible say no. NIV says, some Bible say, um, is it no or yes, something like that. But what God said is this. No or yes is not the original Hebrew. What God said directly is, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. What does that tell you? Whatever Abraham asked God concerning Ishmael, God granted it. I'm going somewhere. And God said concerning Ishmael, I will bless him. I will make him great. I will do this, I will do that for Ishmael. At the end of the day, when God said, let Ishmael go, it was a test of the faith of Abraham. That that thing I said to you concerning Ishmael, do you believe it? I hope I catch what I'm saying. So God said to Abraham, I will make him great. Ishmael will be a great nation. I will make him this. Kings will come out of him. Then one day, God came and said to him again, drive Ishmael away. And he gave them just a small supply, water and a bit of food. And of course, it was finished in a short while. But Abraham was able to believe that that same God would take care of Ishmael. What am I going to say? That was testing. That was practice. Somebody say practice. He was practicing how to sacrifice Isaac. Ishmael was not the child of promise. But he was practicing how to sacrifice 
Isaac. I hope you're getting my point here. What am I saying? When God wants to remove, wants to test me to a hundredfold level, and says I should remove Isaac out of my life, he will have trained me, equipped me, poured grace into my life. By the time I'm going to sacrifice Isaac, it's not me that's going. It's the grace of God working in me. Do you get my point here? That's why I talk about grace for fruitfulness. But how does grace come? He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior. It comes through imbibing the word. The duty, why Christians don't bear fruit is that they don't pay attention to his word. So, where the problem is, believers, is not the strength in ourselves to obey God. God has never wanted people who can obey him with their own strength. What he has always looked out for, we're talking about perfecting the verses of God. And we have seen, we are saying God will cut difficult things out of your life. Things that will be painful when he's removing them. How do we do it? We are saying, how do we bear fruit? Is abiding. Are you getting my point? And the problem, why Christians fail in life, listen to me, why Christians fail in life is always one thing. They don't pay attention to what he's saying. Christians don't fail. Now listen to me. They don't fail because of sin. They don't. They don't fail for lack of their personal wisdom. They don't. They don't fail because the environment changed. They don't. The environment can never make a Christian fail. Christians don't fail because of, they don't sin because of temptation. The reason why they fall into sin is not because of temptation. Temptation is a normal part of life. It's normal. No matter what be the habit that is you know, that's worrying you that you have. Let me give you the word of God today. Eh? This, is a, that's how, this is how it is. There is nothing wrong, not one bit wrong with what I'm about to say. This is the solution to all of life's problems. The only reason Christians fail is that they don't pay enough attention to the word of God. That is all. There's no second reason. They don't fail because of the environment. They don't fall into sin because of the weight of the temptation. Let me tell you what God said about that. He said, where sin abounds, what happens? What happens? Grace much more abounds. That is, no matter the temptations around, no matter the temptations around, the temptations are not heavy enough to make a Christian fail. Because God says, once the environment is too difficult, once the temptation is too strong, what I do is I send more grace into that same environment. So when a Christian falls because of temptation, God said he did not tap into the grace that was available. You can't call him a liar. That's a matter of fact. The Christian did not tap into the grace that was available. That is the only reason he fails. How do we tap into grace? A simple word, attention to his word. He said, if you shall hearken, if you shall listen, listening. The literal Hebrew for diligently hearken means to listen, listening. That is, you pay full attention to his word. If you have an addiction problem, God says that thing is not a problem. It's lack of attention to the word that is a problem. I like the story of Lillian B. Humans. A doctor, Canadian-American. She became addicted to morphine. What is morphine? How many of you know of heroin? Heroin is like that. Heroin is the senior brother of morphine. And when you refine morphine, it becomes heroin. 
So one dose of heroin is like four doses of morphine, something like that. It's a more powerful form of morphine. You've heard of fentanyl that killed my, it was in my, no, no, friends. Yes. That's an even more senior form of heroin. All of them are called opiates. This woman, because of stress of work, she began to take morphine. She was abusing morphine. And she could get it because she was a doctor. Then she became addicted. They did everything. She didn't get well. Her friends tried everything for her. They gave her the best medical service available at that time. She did not get well. Do you know, in one week, she was cured. How? Because somebody, she said she remembered that she used to be a Christian as a little girl. So she dedicated her life to Christ. She read her Bible for one week and was cured. She read her Bible for one week and was cured. I am convinced. The major problem we have as Christians is that we don't pay attention to his word. Listen, we talked about voices the other time. There are all kinds of voices. There are all kinds of voices competing for our attention. Because of my natural medical training, my eyes go to a lot of medical news. A few days ago, I told myself, Banky, be careful. You know, they see foods that make your brain decay. I'm sure you see things like that all the time. If you eat, eat, eat this regularly, it removes five minutes from your lifetime, a lifespan every time you eat it. And anytime you focus, you now see Christians, now listen, it annoys me. In fact, one of my sisters was always joking. When she starts something, I said, this, this, I said, the prince called this doctrines of demons. There's one they call Hallelujah Diet. Have you heard of it before? So those things come up. You know what Christians do? We start focusing on them. How to live long. Eat this. Don't eat this. Eat this one. Don't eat this one. Now, every amount of time you spend focusing on those things are the times you do not have to focus, focus on what he has said. So a few days ago, you know, because of my medical tonight, my eyes go there to read something. I just want to be careful though. So before I read now, I first remind myself, long life is a gift of God. He said, with long life, I will do what? Satisfy him. So if I want long life, I don't look to my diet. I look to the God of life. Listen to me. If I remember to focus on what he says about long life. I like what the Canadian said once. He said all this rubbish about diet. He said, anything that's not, not in my food, I put it in by faith. Is anything that is there that's not supposed to be there, I remove it by faith. The Bible says they are sanctified with thanksgiving. Listen, thanksgiving, sanctification is not a spiritual thing, it's a real, it's a real thing. Sanctification can kill butylinum poison. That is, there are times people go for parties, you hear that? What happened in Ugu many years ago, bride, groom, chief bridesmaid, five guests, everybody died at the end of the party. Wedding. Why? They ate what we call Botulinum. It's a very dangerous toxin. When people eat it, it paralyzes their muscles. They can't breathe. They die. And when you hear such news, you know, it will, you know I, I, I know somebody like that. Anywhere he goes, they're afraid to eat. Afraid to eat. And he's a doctor, a specialist. So if he and I go somewhere, if they serve something he's not willing to eat, I collect his own. Journey to my own, I eat it. You say, oh God, one has to be careful though. I said, don't worry, I've taken my care. Once I collect the food, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. It will not happen that a prophet 
perish outside Jerusalem. Have you heard that thing before? Yeah, Jesus was saying that everywhere somebody will die has been appointed. If I came to your wedding, I'm not, I came to rejoice, I didn't come to die. Do you get my point? I am eating, I'm going home in peace. Listen to me. Listen to what I want to say is the word of God. If that food had botulinum poison, the Bible says it is sanctified with the word of God and prayer. That's why I don't go around life trying to say, waiting day, waiting all day. I live my life reasonably, but I eat my food with thanksgiving. Put poison inside it. In fact, you know, you know what they call return to sender? The real return to sender, eh? It's not the one you shout, return to sender. It's when God says, this thing has been destined to kill somebody. Who should he kill? He cannot kill the man they have given it to it. So let me give it to the man who sent it. Because the Bible says, their arrows shall enter their own hearts. It's in the word of God. It's in the word of God. The problem is that we pay attention to every other thing. We don't pay attention to the word of God. Then we start falling for temptations. Let me say it again. Even businesses don't fail because of money problems. They don't fail because of environment. They don't. Listen, when Peter was going to sink, Jesus did not tell him, what were you doing walking on water? Jesus did not say, what were you doing walking on water? Let's get this clear, people of God. Peter was a human being. Human beings don't walk on water. The best they do is swim in water. So the reasonable thing to say, if we came to class today, students, physics students, and oceanology students want to analyze the sinking of a man called Peter. So, um, Fred, give us, an, uh, give us a rundown. So, uh, Peter stepped out of water after his boat one day, and he took a few steps on water, and then he began to go under. All right, stop it there. Let's begin to analyze. Whoa, what was wrong with that? Isa, excuse me, sir. Isa, yeah, you? First, a man should be inside the boat. Correct, correct. He should have stayed inside the boat. You have to be wise. You have to be wise. The first reason why Peter sank was he was not where he was supposed to be. Inside the boat. Write it down. Peter should have stayed inside the boat. <laughs> Any other opinion? Yeah, Isa, Isa. Okay, all right. Yeah, Mike, what do you have to say? Um, we calculated, sir, you know, you gave us an idea what we're going to discuss today. So my friend and I decided to calculate the weight of, of average man like Peter. It would have been like um, 90 kg. So yes, the foot area, the surface area of his two feet would have been something like um, one-tenth of a square meter. So very good. So when we calculated the pressure, you know, per square meter, we realized that the pressure was mounting was higher than the surface tension of water because the amount of water displaced before it can, you know, according to Archimedes principle, to be able to, it was more that guys, that's an excellent erudite analysis. So Peter had to go down. Yeah, everybody clap for, for Mike. Everybody clap for Mike. Yeah, you know. So second reason, you have to know your, the, 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 the weight that you are putting on a particular square inch, you know, even if you go to the Red Sea, you need to, like, all of this analysis, they came to Jesus. Lord, my name is Peter. Why did I sink? Say, your unbelief. Say, all of this, your sinking is because of doubt. So, God says, why, no, economists, that is, World Bank, Central Bank will say, why did the 
manufacturing companies in Nigeria die, they will say poor power supply, influx of fake products competing with their products, liberalization of the economy with opening of borders and reduction of tariffs so that cheap imports came and all of that analysis. And they turn to the Lord. Why did the manufacturing companies shut down? He says it was because of unbelief. One statement is not saying more than that. Say, if they had focused on my word, the word has life in itself. The word will go out if necessary, close the border. The word can go to the other country and kill their own factories. The word knows what to do. He said, but they don't focus on the word. They focus on analysis morning, afternoon, and night, so their companies keep collapsing. The only problem we have, we don't focus enough on the word. We focus on every other thing. Sometimes we even focus too much on prayer because we think it is what we say. God says, stop talking. Carry a Bible and read. Take this word and say it to yourself. Meditate during day and night. How do I keep my company afloat? Open your Bible and say, in all that I do, I prosper. The world will shut doors. It will open doors. That's why, listen, me. <laughs> I have found my job as a, in, in, at least in the affairs of God. It's a bank. You go and instruct people with my word, not with common sense. Let me tell you something. The word is very foolish to the common ears. So many times when preachers finish preaching and preaching and preaching, even they, they get discouraged. I don't know what I get my point. Because what they are seeing doesn't make sense anymore. And they are not seeing the results they are supposed to see. And they say, why are we not seeing the results? He said, because we are not wise. So they leave the word and go to worldly wisdom. Instead of them intensifying the delivery of the word, they leave it and go to worldly wisdom. I've seen pastors come to church. Seven keys to success. Number one, know your customer. Okay, Mute has a friend like that. <laughs> Number two, know your competitors. Number three, have a good relationship with your banking officer. Some of you don't have the phone number of your banking officer. Number four, aggregate your BVN with your national ID card number. And you see so-called Christians writing ferociously. And the church will be increasing in number. Why? It's a business church. There's a story I've told many times. I keep telling this story. I've not seen a better one. That's why. Don't be angry with me. This happened almost 30 years ago. He happened around 1990, about 29 years ago. Or if I'm mistaken, 91. I was campus fellowship president. I finished, one day we finished like that in fellowship and I stood in front like that. I was just talking to people. And I still remember that face. That young lady came up to me and said, Pastor Banky. They decided to call him Pastor Banky by that time. And I could see her face was, you know, she had been crying. Her eyes were swollen. Her eyes were red. You know, this girl had been crying. He said, I said, what is the problem? He said, I just saw my results. I'm going to be withdrawn from my faculty. I can't remember her faculty. was in pharmacy or something, but she said she was going to be withdrawn. And she had been crying. I was also a young student, too. So you know as I had experience. We were in school together, just as senior and small, and I would say I was a campus fellowship president. 
I just begged her. I said, please. Okay, where, where do you stay? She told me her room number. Hall 2. Okay, please just write it down so I won't forget. Please, I'll come and see you. All of that was to let her go because I didn't know what else to say. If it's now, probably lay hands. I'm the name of the, that time I didn't have both. I was as confused as she was. The only difference that she was crying, I was not crying. Do you get my point? I've told that story many times because I've not seen anything like it. The day I told her I would come, I think it was the following day in the evening, I went, knocked on the door. She was waiting. She gave me a chair. I sat down. I brought out my Bible. As God lives, I did not discuss her result. I did not discuss her faculty. I had nothing to say about it. I just brought her the Bible. We prayed. I began to read. I went from one verse to another. I was quoting scripture. I still remember that day. It was as if there was an unction upon me. Greater is he that is in you. That is in this, that is it that is the world. The Lord is your shepherd. He shall not want. As I was speaking, the Bible says they looked to him and were lightened. And their faces were no longer ashamed. This girl's eyes were brightening. By the time I finished, she couldn't stop laughing. I told you laughter is not mockery in the scriptures. It's a sign of victory. She couldn't stop laughing. She was hysterical with laughter. As she was seeing me off, she was laughing. And I remember I left that place. I was wondering, Banky, what have you done? And I forgot about it. Sometime later, I was in the same spot again in fellowship. She walked up to me again. He said, I just wanted to update you about the last thing we did. I said, okay, yeah, what happened? He said, the dean said, if I were to take this course, I do this one. They give me an opportunity to repeat this one. I will not be withdrawn again. And then, so that thing has been solved. Oh, thank God, thank God. I thank God with her. And she left. And I remember that day, I did not discuss her faculty. I did not discuss what to do. He said, the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what means about what alive and active? It means it is breathing. It can make decisions. It knows where to go. It knows which doors to open. It knows how to open the doors. It knows the doors to close. It knows who to kill and keep alive. It knows who to bring into your life. Jesus said, you know the problem? The sons of this age, children of this age, they are wiser in their own affairs than the children of light. He said, you see how dedicated they are to their own things. But Christians try to mix the two. They try to mix the two. Listen, what is the assignment we have as believers? I said something along the line. That God is not saying that you will know what to prune by yourself. The knowledge of what to prune comes by the entrance of the word. When the word is the one that brings you the knowledge of what to prune, at the same time, it brings you the power to prune it. That's the message. If your common sense tells you what to prune. You will fail. That is why New Year resolution hardly resolves. Every year we have New Year resolution. Why is common sense? It's not birthed in the place of prayer. It's not birthed from the study of the word. It's not birthed in the place of the spirit where people are interacting with the word of God. Come on, we just say that, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. They wake up by 5 a.m., by 5.30, they've had their bath. They call their first client by 8. By the time they finish, they'll give you seven, if, uh, we, we, what do you call it, uh, habits of highly effective people. Who wrote the book? Seven Covey. Okay, it's not the one that's a Mormon. It's the one. 
a book written by a Mormon. There's another one that's a new age man. What's the name of that one? The big guy that acts sometimes. Anthony Robbins. We will carry Anthony Robbins and Stephen Covey, put them down, use them to make New Year resolution. It was for one week. We will remember it in the second week of March. That we have been breaking it in the second week of January. <laughs> and we have been doing it for the last 15 years. Every year, New Year resolution. Do you know why? The resolution did not come with the grace to perform it. Let me tell you something. When God is speaking to you, He's not giving you advice. He's empowering you. Did you hear what I said? When the Lord is speaking to you, He's not giving you advice. He's empowering you. He said to that woman caught in the act of adultery, He said, go and sin no more. You know, until that time, the woman could not help but sin. Many people born in this generation cannot help but sin. They can't. Sin is a force. It's like oxygen. It's air. It's there. It pulls people in. It's a force. It's not enticement. When it has power over people, it pushes them. So Jesus looked at that girl and said, poor girl, she's not an adulteress in herself. She's an adulteress, a manifestation of the iniquity in the air. So he turned to the men. He said, if any one of you with the stone, stones have never committed adultery through the first stone. That was what he said. It wasn't if you had never told a lie. You know what he said, what was saying to them? You are the reason why this girl is an adulteress. It's not her. All of, go and read the, my article, Gatekeepers. I discuss it inside there. But that's not what I want to talk about. After they all left, he turned to her. Where are your accusers? Said they've all gone. No one condemned you. Said no one, sir. Said neither do I condemn you. But listen to this. From now on, go and sin no more. The only I read that thing, he hit me. He wasn't advising her. He was empowering her. He said, before now, all the men you met were adulterers. Adulter- so the spirit of adultery took hold of you. Today you have met one man who is not an adulterer. But he's a life-giving spirit. So that man says to you now, go and sin no more. That girl needed to do one thing. Say, amen. That's what she needed to do. Say, thank you, sir. Amen. How do I know? There was a man who was lying down, could not walk, could not move. The same man, Jesus, went to him, said the same thing. Arise, take up your pallet and walk. Was that advice? Why do we think this one was advice and that one was not advice? The same man operated the same way. Jesus operated the same way. He doesn't give advice. He empowers people. He said to them, give them something to eat. Their unbelief began to talk. We don't have enough food. Where do we get it from? Unbelief was talking. He had given the word, give them enough food. Food will recruit itself and feed those people. Because Jesus does not give advice. He empowers people to do. He said to that girl, go and sin no more. What she needed to do was say, Amen. After that, she would see those men, look at them again. And suddenly, the lust for adultery will vanish. Why? 
Because she encountered Jesus. That's what the Bible means when it says the word of God is alive and active. It acts. It is active. He has power. So if Christians fail, he said it's not because of the environment. It's not because of temptations. It's because they don't pay attention to what I say. So the ability that I supplied for them is gone. Listen to me. Don't be afraid of pruning. When it's time to prune, the same Jesus that gave you the word, that said this must go, as he's saying it, the ability to allow it to go comes into you. One thing he said, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. That is very important. Because sometimes what Satan does is trying to trouble your heart. He said, don't allow it happen. Don't let your heart be troubled. So when the heart of Jesus wanted to be troubled, you know what he did? He went to the garden. He knelt down and prayed that, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's the same principle. And the Spirit entered into him and set him on his feet. What Ezekiel said. When I fell because of the, he says, such was the, you know, the power of the, how did he say it again? Such was the appearance of the glory of the Lord. So that when I saw it, I fell to my feet. I didn't prostrate myself. I fell. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, arise that I may speak unto you. He said, when he spoke to me, what happened? The spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. So Christians are not having victory. There's just one reason. They are not paying attention. Let's bow our heads to pray. Let's say, Lord, speak to me. Yeah, that's a good prayer. Speak to me. Open my ears. Say, the Lord has instructed me. He has given me the tongue of the learned. Say, day by day, opens my ears to hear. Say, Lord, again, open my ears. Open my ears. Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me. Help me to make the right choices. Help me. Lift up your voice to the Lord. There's a unique opportunity before you to place a demand for the Lord that your ears indeed may become hearing ears so that your ears will become ears that hear. Your ears need to hear the Lord. You need to respond to the Lord's instruction. We thank you for your word. Blessed be your name, eternal Father. We thank you because indeed our lives have been transformed by the entrance of your word. Be thou exalted, eternal Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Alright, let's rise to our feet so we can go home. If you are blessed today, give me an amen. amen. Alright, that blessing will abide with you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father God, we give you praise. Thank you for the power in your word. On the authority of that word, Lord, I bless your children again this evening. I declare to everyone listening to me, the Lord bless you. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will make his face shine upon you. And the Lord will lift up his countenance upon you. He will give you peace. He will bless your going out. He will bless your coming in. Safety is your portion in the name of Jesus. See, God still delivers people. I said God still delivers people. When God has delivered you, people will explain it. But don't worry, it's the deliverance of the Lord. For that reason, I say to you, fear not. Don't be afraid. In your going out, in your coming in, you will be safe. Amen. Friend of mine, the other day, a colleague, because a plane crashed in Ethiopia, I said, ah, in Nigeria, you can't go by plane, no, send me going by road. I said, but more people die on the road 
than die by plane now. He said, at least they will have his pieces to pick. Please, such unbelieving talk, that's not your portion. I want you to know, if you're in the air, safety is still your portion. He said, what if my own Boeing 737 MAX 8 has a fault? You forget one thing. They've been flying that plane since 2017. They had over 300 in the air, flying on a daily basis. Only two had crashed. I'm not saying that two is too small, but why will it be your own? I hope you are getting my point. Listen to me. Your life is not an accident. It's not a game of chance. Your own plane will not malfunction in Jesus' name. And what if it malfunctions? The angels are stronger than the plane. They will carry it and put it down gently. In the name of Jesus Christ. There was a man, true story. He drove up a bridge that collapsed. You know, he drove, he didn't know the bridge had, had collapsed. He was driving fast speed. By the time he got there, he found himself in the air. And witnesses saw it and he shouted, Jesus. And the car reversed in the air and went back onto the plane. People came down to come and look at what happened. You think this life, we're just walking anyhow, like this anyhow? People think Adam and Eve were alone in the garden. They were not alone. And neither are you alone now. Jesus said concerning the children, he said they are angels. Each one has an angel. I like one Canadian said, once they had a vision, and one angel wanted to talk to him. He said, the Lord, who is that? He said, that's your angel. He said, me and angel. He said, you think because you grew, you lose your angel? Each person has an angel. And they are watching you. They are watching over you. Your life is not an accident. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid for your life. Don't be afraid for your children. God will protect them. That same God is protecting you. For that reason I say to you again, no evil will befall you. And no plague will come near your dwelling place. No evil will befall you. No plague will come near your dwelling place. Prosperity is your portion. Health is your portion. Long life is your portion. In the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, no economic can sink you. Only unbelief sinks the believer. So walk in faith and you are always a victor. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let's share the grace in fellowship. Everybody want to, let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before we share it with ourselves, remember, manifestation means what? You will lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. You know what that means? Whenever you see a sick person, lay your hands. Don't say, which doctor have you seen? I have a friend, though. He's a brain surgeon. Should I call him? Lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now turn to somebody. Say, this is your season. Dominion and manifestation in the name of... Two more people. This is your season. Dominion and manifestation.